if you've ever talked to me about this journey that I've been on to plant, uh, Jose's name uh, comes up often. It comes up uh, all the time uh, because of his ministry in East Harlem with Metro Hope Church because of a book that he's written called Seeing Jesus in East Harlem, uh, because of work he does with uh, within the criminal justice system and informally incarcerated individuals. Uh, he has just been a huge inspiration for me and really has shaped much of my own personal ministry. And so I am so excited to be sitting under his teaching today. Uh, I do want to say, I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but I also want to be transparent with you and not try to trick you. Uh, but somewhat last minute, uh, Jose needed to uh, tend to his family. And so yesterday he pre-recorded his message. Uh, I gave him all the context of our service and our church. So it may feel like he's with us. And I, I hope it does. Uh, and, and regardless, I am confident that the spirit will be speaking through him and through his preparation and through his words this morning. Before we hear from Jose's teaching, though, uh, Corinne Dukes is going to read this morning's passage, uh, which comes from the opening of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll hear from Jose, and then I will uh, lead us in the Lord's Supper. So if you haven't grabbed a cracker or a piece of bread and a drink, uh, please do so now. Before we move forward, though, let me just say a word of prayer for the reading of God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, God. I thank you so much for this journey in the book of Acts that we have embarked on, Lord, that uh, we are in our seventh week, I think, God, and we have so many more weeks ahead of us to see how the Spirit has been moving and how it is moving today, Lord, and how you still speak to your people through your words today. Father, be with Corinne as she reads from these verses from Acts 3, God. Lord, may you be glorified in the reading of your word, and may your people, Lord, may we be pierced to our hearts simply by hearing your word read over us. Father, be with Pastor Jose and this message that he has prepared. Lord, please uh, be with technology and allow this video to play and, and stay connected and all of that, and be with us as we uh, journey toward the Lord's table together this morning. God, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Corinne. Acts 3, 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as to John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people uttered utterly astounded, 
ran together to him, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here with you all this morning. Thank you, Karen, for the reading of the text this morning. And I'm blessed by the gifts of the new IVP author, Reverend Drew Jackson. I'm grateful for the invitation by Pastor Chuck to share with you all this morning. And uh, here's a little bit about me. I'm a native New Yorker and a Manhattanite, which also means to say that I'm an endangered species. Uh, I have a wife named Myra. We've been married for about 25 years and I'm pastoring uh, a church uh, here in East Harlem. I have a son uh, who is 13, who were uh, parenting in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, I think uh, enough said with that. And I'm just really grateful once again for this uh, invitation to be able to share with you all to break the bread of life, uh, though virtually uh, we have great hopes that uh, maybe in a few months or even uh, sometime soon, we'll be able to break bread together in person. That would be my joy and that would be my privilege. Uh, peace to you, Hell's Kitchen Church, uh, for endeavoring in this faith-filled adventure that is church planting. And I have to always tell people, you got to be a little insane to embark on such an endeavor, but such, such is the enterprise of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, and I say this, of course, not as an armchair minister, but as someone who's embarked on this journey before. Back in 2007, our church was formed when a group of diverse people began to discern the same. We asked ourselves, how is it that the church could be a sign of the kingdom in East Harlem? And we were this oh man, this quirky kind of uh, group, racially diverse, but also ecumenical. And uh, among us, they were evangelicals, they were uh, Presbyterians, a, a few burnt out Pentecostals. It was also a Baptocostal. And I didn't know what that was until I found out that it's what happens when you cross a Pentecostal with a Baptist. There was a young lady between Islam and Christianity and a couple of agnostics, an Irish Catholic and two Christian anarchists. We sounded like the beginning of a good joke someone tells at a bar, <laughs> except it was the church. And we had received an invitation and this invitation was to be an extension of the incarnation. And that is the invitation that the church continually receives over time and also space. An extension of Christ becoming flesh and moving through a zip code in flesh and also bone. If ministry is the extension of the incarnation, it means that we also come into new or familiar places with new eyes, which is to say, the eyes of Jesus. We look for signs and we look for wonders while waiting to see how the spirit leads us next. The spirit in the, books of, uh, the book of Acts, as we see, will lead the disciples, the first church into the unknowns. And they try to either uh, keep in step or just catch up in so many instances and at times that's what uh, we're called to do. And that's what I want to talk about today. How the spirit is the curator of the church's mission. 
how the Spirit is the curator of the church's mission. Our scripture today takes place after the Spirit has been poured out on 120 Jewish bodies in the upper room. This came after they had received instructions from Jesus to wait in Jerusalem for the promise, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on bodies that would await Jesus in prayer. This experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was both an endorsement and an invitation to follow the Spirit of Christ. Now, if you've been Christian for any amount of time, you know that if you follow Christ in the Spirit, you'll find out soon enough that mission in the Spirit is adventurous, to say the least. It could turn out that any mundane moment, a walk to church or a walk to the bodega, can turn into a momentous occasion, even a miraculous one. The Bible says Peter and John were walking to the temple at noontime, as was custom around that time, and they saw a familiar sight, and which means that they could also uh, see that this man sitting at the gate was no stranger, as our text had indicated. They could have walked by this man many times before. It could have been that on that same walk to temple, they even glanced his way. But on this day, the glance would turn into something else. The Bible says they took notice of him. In other words, what probably was a glance before would now turn into gaze. It would turn into a gaze and they would take notice differently. It was a moment that the spirit began to curate for them. Now, if we were in, in church and we were in person, I would say, somebody say curate, all right? But we'll keep yourself on mute, of course. And even for us today, what, what is this moment that the spirit would allow us in, to encounter, to, to be able to take notice about? What was this moment? Well, it was a moment where they were invited to look again with generous eyes, with the eyes of Christ. I'm gonna to try to make a transition here. There we go. The spirit was inviting them to look again with generosity. And the spirit continues to invite us to look again with generosity. Uh, it's something that happens when, spirit are, uh, when the spirit is filling people, the, the spirit begins uh, to lead people in a different ways, to curate things, to allow people to see things differently. The spirit will begin to open our eyes so now that we are moving through spaces and places with the eyes of Christ. In New York City, we see a lot of folks walking through the streets and we see uh, people glance in a certain direction. And if you're walking through the street, you know that life can be uh, quick and at times it can be overwhelming. And you can appreciate a scene like this, like walking to church, uh, like Manhattanites can do, where life, uh, in our case, moves so fast that we really can't afford to be overly friendly. It's not that New Yorkers are not friendly. Can I get an amen? It's just that there's just too many darn people to be able to greet. <laughs> so imagine saying good morning to everyone on two square blocks of Hell's Kitchen. Well, we glance to ensure maybe we won't get hit by a car but we move and we keep it moving as we do in New York. But spirit-filled mission calls us to something different. 
the spirit for some reason in some strange mystical way messes with the time space continuum and things can all of a sudden slow down. Or as Dr. Willings, Dr. Willie James Jennings uh, refers to, he gives the spirit gives us a new gaze, a new sense of time, a new sense of place, a new sense of space, a, a holy gaze, a generous and a holy gaze that would have us look again at what we might have missed the first time. It's pausing, it's noticing the image of God in others that blesses us with more, a more generous vision for this time and place. It is pausing to notice the image of God in others that can bless us with a more generous vision of others. I didn't know this man's story and we don't know too much about it, but we do know that he would sit out and beg for alms on a daily basis as was custom. And this could have been this man's whole narrative when people were walking uh, to temple. Hey, there goes that man again, the guy who's always uh, sitting out there and begging out in front of the temple. This could have been his only story. In her TED talk, Nigerian novelist uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie describes this as the danger of a single story how people's stories can be reduced to one thing, essentially dehumanizing them. But power comes with being able to tell the story both truthfully and in a holy manner. By receiving this invitation, the spirit uh, gave them a more generous gaze. We often put the emphasis on Peter and John and what it is that they did we don't put enough emphasis on how they saw differently, how they were able to affirm the image of God as well as this man's dignity. This miracle ushered this man beyond a single story of, of his disability. The spirit curated new possibilities of deeper belonging for this man. The story progresses then from this invitation to see an integration, a, a deeper belonging into the kingdom of God. And this happens through Peter's deeper engagement with this man. Let me take us once again back to uh, another uh, slide here. This integration through kingdom belonging in the verse, as you see, happened through Peter reaching out. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. There was first an invitation, and then there became this integration into belonging through Peter reaching out, an extension of the incarnation. Peter tells the man, look at me, and grabbed this man by the hand as an embodied act of faith. It was also an act of intention through proximity. And in the reaching out and touching, there was a connection. There was a, a form of belonging through the kingdom of possibility. I gather that Peter only saw this man because of what happened back at the upper room. So now he would take notice in a different way and would now join this man in this holy moment, this Holy Spirit curation. 
Now, as assertive as Peter was, he wasn't doing something to him, but he was doing something with him, participating with the spirit in rescripting this man's story and having him belong and having him be affirmed and having the image of God be of different value. In other words, the image of God would be the currency for the day. Peter said, silver and gold have I not, because the spirit was creating a new currency, a currency that goes beyond the currency that Caesar offered, a currency beyond what this world offers, a new system of valuation, a higher premium on the image of God in this man and all of creation. In a time when our country is the most disintegrated and fragmented as I've seen and as we've all witnessed uh, through a pandemic, God is calling us to call in others into the kingdom and to deeper belonging. And the kingdom of belonging will challenge us as it did Peter and John to stop and see what the spirit sees, that is Holy Spirit curation and ultimately what Jesus values. And it goes from an invitation to generous seeing, to an integration, which was kingdom belonging. In order to get here, in order to get to kingdom belonging, in order to, to reach out our hands for those who would be uh, in support and in need, and in order for us to, to, to also see things and be transformed within ourselves, we need a deeper form of kingdom belonging, and we also need to get beyond the limited narratives we have put on people and places. Think about this. Peter wasn't perfect, but the spirit was working in Peter. And the spirit is also working in us. I have had and still have moments when I haven't been that inviting or integrating, if you will, of others into God's story in, in a generous way. And I am consistently working on uh, opening my eyes, allowing the spirit to uh, show me what the heavenly data is so that I can see what God uh, sees. What, what is heaven downla downloading into our reality? And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, um, our church uh, partners with Exodus Transitional Community and. This has been one of the most transformative partnerships uh, for us. Um, Exodus Transitional Community works with returning citizens. And I work as both a consultant and, and also a chaplain. And when I got there about uh, five years ago, I would say, I tell you, Hell's Kissing Church, I, you know, I, I thought I was woke somehow. And I thought that I saw clearly and I thought that I was integrating and I thought I, I was inviting. Uh, so what I did was I decided to sit down with uh, 25 staff individually to hear their stories. Uh, most of them, as I had mentioned, 90% of uh, the staff at Exodus are formerly incarcerated. So I gotta be honest with you, when I uh, listened, when I sat down to listen to these stories initially, I thought they would just be other uh, glorified hood tales. In other words, they would be one and the same. But instead, something else began to happen. 
I began to listen to each story of each uh, person, each individual, each uh, image bearer. And they began to point me in a certain direction. They began to curate their stories in a way that I, I began to see redemption. I began to see a form of rescripting that they were not uh, victims to the single uh, story, the danger of a single story that I began to sit down and I began to listen to stories of resilience to what happens when the kingdom of God breaks into our reality. And these spirit curated stories for me pointed me back to Jesus. And I repented and I confessed and I began to see anew and I invited people into a, a deeper story of belonging. But here's the thing, I wasn't just inviting or integrating people into God's story. They ended up inviting me into the story once again. And the story became much bigger than I could have ever imagined. They were a, a stark reminder to me of Howard Thurman's seminal question in his seminal book, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited. What does our religion of Jesus have to say to those whose backs are against the wall? What does our religion of Jesus, our religion of Christ, what does our gospel have to say to those whose backs are against the wall? The man at the gate served to be a reminder of what Jesus came to do for us to, to preach the good news, to, to set the captive free, to liberate the oppressed, and to declare the year when things would be made right in Jubilee. We need to reach forth then like Peter and John and be extensions of the incarnation to allow the spirit to curate uh, people and places in different ways, even the familiar ways. And in mutuality and reciprocity, we will see number three, inspiration through awe and also through wonder. An inspiration through awe and also through wonder. The Bible says that he got up after Peter supported him and pulled him up. And he began to jump around and to celebrate and people recognized him. And this man's story would bring about awe and wonder to those around him. We need that inspiration through awe and wonder. We need to be invited once again into a sacred curiosity. What is it that God is doing in our midst? What is it that God can do in New York City? What is it that God can do when we're led by the spirit to set the captive free, to liberate the oppressed and to make a lame man walk? God had a plan for this man who was invisibilized most likely by society. But really, it all began with an invitation for Peter and John to participate with the spirit. The spirit was showcasing a new story and the disciples were there to simply get on God's agenda for this man's life in the world. 
this is a different posture than being the church. When we follow the spirit in awe, in wonder and inspiration, we begin to ask different questions. We begin to ask, what is God doing next? We, we take on a different posture. Our church has been asking one key question since its inception. And it's the question that honors the image of God in people. And it's not the questions that we often think as Christians, as people who are going out into the world. It's not uh, come and join us, see what's happening and, and, and let's, let's power through. Well, you know, th those questions I think have their, their time and their place. We're asking different questions in these days. I think a better question in the humility of the spirit would be to, to engage people and ask, how can we get on God's agenda for your life in the world? Isn't that a different question? How can we get on God's agenda for what God is doing in your life, for what you bring, for what your giftedness is? And I gotta tell you that whenever we ask this question, people in our congregation, people in our communities respond with awe and wonder. When we ask our small businesses, uh, how is it that we can uh, get on God's agenda for uh, your small business here in, in, in East Harlem? How can we support what you're doing? They, they'll respond with awe and wonder. Like I've never been asked that question before. Even recently, something that we're really excited about is we, we were able to uh, fund uh, four social entrepreneurs from within our congregation and give them many grants based on that question, based on how can we get on God's agenda for your life in the world? And we've been able to support ministries from uh, human sex trafficking, uh, advocating against human sex trafficking, uh, uh, support of black women in the arts, uh, support of uh, someone who is uh, starting a, uh, a house church in, in the South Bronx, uh, another organization that works with uh, court-involved youth. And it's a powerful question to be able to ask our congregation, how is it that we can get on God's agenda for your life in the world? This was in many, in so many ways, the, the question that, that Peter and John asked this man on this uh, beautiful day at a beautiful gate. So Hell's Kitchen Church, how is it that we can get on God's agenda? for Hell's Kitchen? How is it that we can get on God's agenda for New York City? How is it that we can get on God's agenda for our neighbors, for people within our community who are hurting right now? Black folks, black, uh, brown folks, uh, Asian uh, folks who have been uh, victims of all kinds of violence in our society as of late. How is it that we can get on God's agenda for our family? our brothers and sisters. I wanna leave you with this quote with, uh, uh, from Dr. Jennings. And then I wanna pray for you, you know, if, if that's okay, of course. And then Chuck will lead us in the time of communion and we can come to the table and perhaps even ask that question. God, how, how is it that I can get on God's agenda, on your agenda uh, for the life of the world? And we can inquire that of, of people in our communities, people in our neighborhoods and uh, people in who we share space with.
imagine a people defined by their cultural differences, yet who turn their histories and cultural logics toward a new determination, a new social performance of identity. Thus the words and ways of one people join those of another, each born anew in community seeking to love and honor those in its midst. Those relationships will involve a deep joining and the opening of lives to one another in love. Amen and amen. Creator, I thank you for uh, Pastor Chuck and his leadership team. Thank you for Hell's uh, Kitchen Church. Thank you for uh, what you're doing in and through them. I pray that as uh, they discern the path forward, that they, Lord, would be invited into more generous scene, that they would walk forth and let the spirit curate uh, their community, people and neighborhoods, so that they can integrate others into kingdom belonging. And God, I pray that as signs and wonders would follow, that you would inspire awe and wonder among the witnesses, among people who see what you're doing through this powerful community. So I pray, Lord, for a spirit of grace, a spirit of power, and even a spirit, Lord, of reconciliation that is undergirded by a spirit of justice. So I thank you, God, for this sacred opportunity that you would open our eyes as we approach the communion table today and that we, God, would learn not only to be led by your spirit, but to be curators with you as part of a new valuation system where we honor the image of God in individuals, in places, and in society. Lord, give us eyes to see this day. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for this opportunity and I'm so grateful uh, to be able to share with you and we'll hopefully see each other in person the next time. Peace and blessings and uh, have a great rest of your Sunday. Amen. Uh, I love Pastor Jose and I hope you, uh, if this is kind of your first uh, experience with him, I hope, um, I hope you're blessed by his message and his teaching and his heart. Uh, you know, one of the things he said was that what we see in this passage is an embodied act of faith. And I think in a lot of ways, <clears throat> when we come together at this table, uh, if we were in person, it would feel like this embodied act of faith that we enter into as a community. And when we're on Zoom, it doesn't necessarily feel that way because we're all separated. We're communing physically by ourselves. And yet I do firmly believe that this is an embodied act of faith, an embodied act by this community here. He talks about how the spirit rescripts our story. And I think there is no more real example of that than when we come to this table because of the reconciling power of this table. 
that in all of our messiness and all of our brokenness and all of the injustice around us, we sinners, we broken brothers and sisters can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that is what this table is about. So instead of putting up a slide to reflect on as we get ready to take communion together this morning, I want you to sit with the question that he posed near the end. How is it that we could get on God's agenda for Hell's Kitchen, for New York City, for our families, for our jobs, for the people who are facing injustice around us? How is it that we could get on God's agenda? I think we begin to answer the question by reminding ourselves of the reconciliation that we have with God, of allowing that to shape us today and tomorrow. So spend a moment asking that question. As he said, they've been asking this since day one of their church. So don't expect an answer, a clear answer right now. Ask this question, see how God might be speaking to you. And then we'll come back just after a brief moment of reflection to partake in communion together.